Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Realcom Live. Uh, good to be here, and um, we've got another crazy, good, interesting topic. In fact, uh, as you know, I'm trying to find one word to describe the episode, and today I'm actually going to have to do two. I'm sorry. Crazy cool. Crazy interesting. Um, the, as kids, we we watched the movies, how robots were going to take over the world, and we never really understood the real life practical implications of where they would fall inside society. Last couple of years, we've seen um, companies like Boston uh, Robotics and Elon Musk's company come up with some extraordinary robots. In fact, at the conference this year in Orlando, we had a, a robot dog. Uh, that's what it looks like. Um, meander up onto the general session stage and then sit in front of one of our panelists. Um, oh, and by the way, that robot was armed with a LIDAR scanning unit that could have scanned that room and come up with a square footage estimate um, almost instantaneously. So uh, the reality is here. And why is that reality there? Number one, need. Um, we've got a worker shortage. We've got more sophisticated tasks. We've got mundane tasks that need to be automated out in the field. Technology is getting better. It's getting smaller. Uh, um, battery technology is getting better. So these devices, if needed, be, can be mobile. Uh, and, and as the silicon gets smaller and the, the AI and the, the, the operating technologies get more sophisticated, we are going to see robots or some type of robotic machinery in more and more of our daily life in the real estate industry, starting with the construction industry. And that's where we're going to be talking about today. We've got an incredible guest, uh, Matt Henning, uh, at our Cortec event a month or so back. Henning Rodell is robotics lead for DPR Construction. Why don't we bring on Henning and get this conversation started? Henning, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me here on the show. Well, I got to tell you, your your presentation at Cortec, um, you know, we we know what's going on and we see it, but you know, every once in a while when we slow down and we listen to the teacher, you know, and we watch really what's going on, I was blown away. I mean, you know, because you got detailed, you got specific, you were showing pragmatic, common sense applications, and you know, when I see something like that, my question begs. Why isn't everybody using this? Um, and in fact, I think I told you uh, I had a uh, conversation with a friend architect who introduced me to a contractor friend of his. And, you know, and I said, you know, I actually told him about your presentation and I said, you know, incredible technology. And they're a fairly good sized company. And, and he said, well, only the big companies have the resources to do that, that kind of testing. And I kind of looked at him and I go, well, you know. 10 small companies could get together and, and, you know, leverage each other and get a little warehouse and play around themselves. And, and that just made me really further appreciate the good work you're doing because anybody who takes the time and energy to, you know, create a lab or to experiment in a meaningful way, that's the way we make advancements, you know? So thank you for Absolutely. all that. So why don't we get started with you giving a little bit uh, a better understanding of your background for the audience, because I don't want to jump right into what you're doing yet, because there's always a reason you are where you are. And apparently there may be some uh, real strong interest on your part in this topic. And I'm interested to hear what it is. Yeah, well, um, thank you for, for the lead up and the introduction here. Um, my name is Henning Rodell, and <clears throat> I'm actually on a journey to figure out how to build an outer space. And <laughs> I love it. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I say that with all seriousness, um, and I ended up uh, performing a, a PhD at Stanford University, um, where we invented a new type of concrete for, for building on the moon and building on Mars. 
Um, I've been inspired by Elon Musk and just looking up at the stars and wondering what's out there. Um, and I figured being a builder, we're going to have some sort of contribution um, to that exploration. Um, and it's in terms of innovation, um, it's an it's an interesting manufactured challenge, right? The, the, the challenges of building in space um, should lead to new technologies um, that improve construction um, and the built environment here on Earth. Um, so that's that's sort of how I dedicated my career. Um, and you know, finishing the PhD in, in 2017, um, I was kind of waiting for Elon to have you know figured out uh, frequent trips to the moon, and he hadn't yet. Um, so I figured I, I might as well work on my business skills. Um, I worked in a startup, Alice Technologies. It's a construction scheduling startup. Um, and then I, I landed at DPR um, and landed in this innovation role. And that's where I really kind of, kind of discovered robotics. Uh, this was 2019, 2020. Um, my job was the West Coast innovation leader. So I was looking at all types of technology, augmented reality, digital twins, um, virtual design construction and, and robotics and robotics here. And I'm based in the San Francisco Bay area. Um, and we had some, some incredible technologies, uh, being developed. And so we decided to pilot them, right. Um, see if they worked. Um, and not only did they work, um, they worked really, really well. Mm -hmm. And that's when, um, my job started getting taken over. Um, by these robotic uh, companies, I could no longer spend my time and intention um, in in virtual reality, let's say. So um, I, I asked the company if I could focus here. And um, yeah, I, I believe that with building a good robotic base, uh, industrial base here on Earth, then we'll be doing ourselves a, a favor uh, when we are asked to, to build in space one day. Well, we have a couple things in common. I too am inspired by Elon Musk. I call him the Thomas our Thomas Edison. Number two, I also was inspired by space. Um, Realcom actually supported uh, an, a youth space institute. Uh, we did it six or seven years in a row. Young kids in San Diego to put experiments, micro experiments, on the International Space Station. So I love it. I think I, I think I got about a hundred girls and about thirty guys. It was focused on women in STEM at first. And you know, we've, I think we had six or seven. I actually have one of the micro lab experiments that they gave me uh, as a result. So we have that in common. But, but as it relates to the International Space Station, I, like you said, if we can create this off-grid, incredibly sophisticated building up in the star, up in the you know, uh, space called the International Space Station, and the amount of efficiencies that, you know, water and electricity and lights, why are our buildings still relying on 20th century technologies to operate? Right. So so we have a lot in common. Um, we draw inspiration from the same places. So that's cool. Um, love it. Love it. Uh, yeah. It's fun to find people who, who, who uh, are on similar journeys. So right. where um, where did DPR's journey begin? Were you the one who instigated or initiated the conversation or were they already thinking about it? They were already thinking about it. And in fact, they when I joined the company, they had already um, started and completed one of their own robotics um, projects. So in 2009 or 2010, um, we started uh, what was internally called Project Lion. Um, but that was our first um, robotics effort. And that was a basically a printer on wheels. And I'll, I'll show a basically a, 
a next generation version of that um, here later in the talk. Um, but we were highly invested in virtual design and construction, um, and that meant digitizing plans and um, specifications um, and creating like a virtual twin of, of the project we're going to be building. And one of our, our engineers um, had this great idea of leveraging that data to just print the uh, print the drawings, print the floor plan um, directly rather than having, you know, chalk lines and tape measurers and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, and that project lasted about five years. We invested pretty heavily into it. Um, and then, you know, due to um, uh, turnover in the company and the, the uh, companies we were working with to help us develop that robot, it was the technology was shelved. Mm -hmm. So when I joined... Um, it was 2009 to what frame, time frame? About 2015, 2016. 2015. So it lasted yeah. five, six years. So that, that's, that's a yeah. good run. And we still have a prototype of it. It's in our, our Raleigh-Durham office. Um, and, you know, fast forward a few years later, I joined the company, I found this amazing printing robot, and then I learned the history of, of what we had done. And it was sort of like a, a perfect marriage of, of our, um, continuing the, the story and the legacy of that technology and continuing to work with it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because as you look at, at big companies, specifically big companies, how hard it is to truly innovate. You know, corporate culture, a lot of times, you know, 18, 24, 36 months, executive, you know, professional turnover. Somebody starts a project. The next guy comes in and says, that's the dumbest thing. Shelves, it starts all over. And sometimes those good ideas are on the cusp of, of making it. And then there's an organizational change and boom, you know, it, it kind of gets. So very congratulations to you to go looking through the, the boxes, if you will, to find some ideas, at least to understand where the company had been, maybe not the specific project, but to kind of understand the organizational trajectory on how open they would be to this idea. Um, well, why don't we have you um, explain a little bit about where you are today? Uh, uh, and I'm going to jump off and then, you know, give us a little overview of, of where you are. And then when I come back, we're going to, I get a couple more questions for you. Absolutely. And and I have some slides that I'd like to, to pull up and, and show the audience here. All right. So, um, you know, I'll start with the, the reason why, and, and, and Jim, you touched on this, um, but really we're, we're looking at robotic tools, um, sort of addressing some of our key challenges here in the industry. Um, first and foremost, safety in the built environment, especially in construction, um, is paramount. And we, we work in hazardous environments. That's just part of the job. Um, and so I'm looking for robotic systems that will place um, the robots in harm's way and, and thereby taking people away from those dangerous tasks. And, and that can be in high voltage uh, work. It can be in at height work or confined spaces. Um, but it can also be with repetitive tasks, right? Uh, we have a lot of soft tissue injuries um, from folks who've spent their career, you know, drilling overhead or, or carrying heavy equipment, um, heavy materials. Um, and, and their bodies are, are injured. Um, and so we, we look for repetitive um, motions as well, and we want to reduce that. We want to put the weight on, on the robotic systems. In addition to that, um, what I'm seeing, and I noticed this pretty early on when we were piloting some robotic technologies, um, this is a jobs program, and it's, it's more than just um, the, the people who are operating these machines, you know, we, we call them robotic tools because we're, we're looking for um, actual tools, people in the loop, um, people operating them. Um, and, but 
what I noticed is that a lot of startups are attracting, um, you know, diverse workforces, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, um, product designers, programmers, software engineers. Um, and that's not something our industry has really attracted for a long time. Um, and it's a young generation, it's a diverse generation of people. Um, and, you know, these robotic systems, if you've played a video game, you can probably feel comfortable um, operating one of these machines. So uh, I think it's going to create a new set of jobs. Um, and it's, I just, I love the fact that it's attracting a lot of people to our industry, a lot of bright minds and new minds. Um, and then um, I'd be remiss to say that there's, there's other benefits as well, like um, job site analytics, right? You're no longer um, relying on the opinions of people of what they can remember. Um, these machines track exactly precisely every single movement that they make. Um, and that can be analyzed and converted into useful production information. Um, and we're getting machine quality, um, machine level quality tracked on our projects um, day in and day out. And that's just a, a huge benefit for us. Um, so the robotics program officially started at DPR uh, last January, January of this year, I should say. Um, we're almost to the new year, so I got thrown off there. Um, and this was the mission statement that I put forward. So I, I pitched this to um, our, our um, leadership saying, hey, we need to focus on robotics um, because this is up and coming. It's, it's a winning strategy, um, and we should be at the forefront of it, and we can be because this is so new. And so our, our mission is to enable construction to happen anywhere by anybody. Um, and that means if you're old or young, uh, male, female, um, disabled or differently abled, um, you know, we want to make construction um, doable by anyone. Building is, is such a creative process um, and it's just part of the human condition. And so we want to we want to make sure that's available. And then, you know, going back to my my previous point, why am I here and why am I doing this? Um, anywhere truly means anywhere. Um, and so, you know, where are we? Where are we in the robotics journey? Um, and what what roles does does this group provi provide? Well, you know, we're starting to see the very first wave and generation of robotic tools that are taking advantage of self-driving capabilities, um, battery technology, um, and then, you know, advances that have happened in manufacturing and, and surgery and the medical uh, world. Um, it's all sort of converging right now. So we're getting this new wave of tools. Um, and so we have to start with the, the idea process, basically, um, and the innovation process. We start with, you know, identifying our needs within the within our company. We pilot relevant technologies. We might invent it ourselves. Um, we might uh, look for it outside of our company. Um, and then when we find something that really works, and I'll give two examples of that here at the end, um, it's our job to adopt it, right? Adopting robotic tools, as you can imagine, it's a push process. Um, and it's still a push process because it's a change um, to how we do work today. And that's, that's where I spend a lot of my time right now is adopting these robots and, and changing our organization um, to best leverage them until it becomes a best practice. And that, that becomes a cycle for each robotic system um, and we rinse and repeat. So two examples I'll give. 
Um, the first is Dusty Robotics Field Printer. Um, again, I mentioned Project Lion. This is the sort of second generation, um, totally developed independently of DPR. Um, we were really happy to partner with them um, early on in their journey. And, you know, they, they have created an incredible product that's, you know, we're seeing productivity rates that are six to eight X um, improvements over um, what we've done traditionally in the field. Um, and it's, you know, laser accurate um, and just incredibly fast. And you don't have, you know, your, your best folks who you trust with getting the layout pardon me, done right, um, you can have your mid-level or your, your entry-level folks operating these machines and producing the, the best layout um, possible. So that's been a, a huge help. And they're not going home dusty uh, with covered in chalk or, you know, knees all banged up because they've been on the floor all day. Um, so it's been a huge benefit to us. And similarly, um, we've been uh, working with the Hilti JBot this year. Um, and we've had two projects with them um, and they've been wild successes. Uh, this project here was completed in, in September. Um, and then we have another one right now in Seattle that's ongoing and we're just knocking it out of the park with one of these machines. Um, so what it does is it, again, lines itself up under the ceiling and it drills holes, precisely located holes for hanging mechanical, electrical, and plumbing fixtures um, in the ceiling. Um, and we're seeing, again, productivity rates on the order of 5 to 10x uh, improvements. Depends on the day, depends on the density of, of points that we have to drill. Um, and, you know, you don't have someone on a scissor lift pointing a, a drill overhead, trying to drill through concrete, getting covered in dust. This takes care of all of that um, and keeps our folks um, safe and, you know, able to continue to work. So absolutely. that's where we are today. Absolutely. I mean, that's a, a perfect depiction of a journey starting with you getting into DPR, assessing where they've been, taking real pragmatic look at innovation, doing what is required, the testing, the failing, the reiterating. And then, um, and then, then you said, once we get it figured out, rinse and repeat. So um, let's take a quick break here from one of our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the challenges because not is all not is all easy in trying to get organizations to adopt new technology. We'll be right back. All right. So I got to believe that there have been a number of instances where you walk into the lunchroom and people look at you and say, oh, here he comes again. Yeah, and, and you hear the whispers and, you know, that there's the I used to be called all sorts of names. You know, there's the tech guy. You know, and, and I imagine you may have been called the robotics guy, right? So challenges, pushbacks, naysayers. Can you give us a little highlight on some of the challenges you faced trying to bring change to DPR? Sure. I mean, you'll, you'll receive pushback. I mean, the biggest thing and the first thing we'll hear when we mention the word robot is it's coming to take someone's job. Um, and the reality of the situation is um, these are tools. So these are not fully autonomous. They're, you know, you still need a human in the loop. You need an operator. Um, but furthermore, you know, we have a shortage of uh, jobs right now. And I'd rather have our most talented people. You mean um, a shortage of workers? A shortage of workers. Yeah, excuse yeah, me, excuse yeah, me. Yeah. Um, and I'd rather have our most talented people um, you know, working on the critical problems that are not repetitive, that are one-off, that really require that creativity and that thinking, um, rather than, you know, hitting real production numbers and, 
you know, breaking their bodies in doing so. Um, so, you know, my pushback to that has always been, we need more people, we need higher productivity rates. Um, you know, it's, it's an existential problem, I think, for humanity, if we're not able to build fast enough um, to support our, our growing population. So yeah, we need I, these I, tools. And I think you bring up a good point. I think the, the worker shortage, uh, skilled worker shortage will actually um, accelerate your your innovation, right? You have no choice. And, you know, um, if you can't find the workers to do the job, you have to come up with some solutions. Um, if on the robotics front, you know, replacing you know some of the, these human tasks, if five years ago we were doing twenty miles an hour, how fast are we going today? We're going twenty miles an hour. I mean, we have no faster. No faster. I mean, as far as the adoption, as far as the adoption, not, not any faster? Still, I mean, we're, again, we're in the early, early stages. You know, uh, we have those those dust, dusty field printers. Um, right now, I think we have five or six across our company, right? Okay. And I think to, to really make an impact, to go 21 miles an hour, we're going to need 10 of those, right? If we want to go 30 miles an hour, we're going to need an order of magnitude higher, Excuse me, because it's not affecting the entire project. It's in fact, it's affecting a critical aspect of it, right? We got to build it right the first time, right. um, but it's it's a it's a small piece of the project as well. So we need many more robots, and we need many more robots to do many other activities as well. All of these are sort of single, single use, single task, uh, not single use, but single task um, machines. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, we're not going to have time for all the questions, unfortunately, but I want to make sure I get this one in. The next 24, 36 months, um, what do you expect? I mean, two, two answers to that question. Speed, where will we be three years from now? Give me a speed from 20. Mm -hmm. And then maybe another aspect of the construction process where we may see robots enter. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think three years from now, we're going to be faster. We're going to be at that 23, 25 mile an hour range. Um, it's still slow to, you know, the industry is slow to adopt. Um, we're going to see, I think, more machines, um, uh, I hope, in the sort of electrician uh, sector. Electricians are um, fantastic um, builders, but they're just, there's such a huge shortage uh, of that particular labor set. Um, and they have a lot of repetitive tasks like um, terminating wires and pulling the conduit and or pulling through conduit and that kind of stuff. So um, and it's it's high voltage in in a lot of cases. So I think there's there's ample room in in that um, in that trade, and I, I hope to see more um, more robots there's, there. There's another paradigm shift coming down on top of that which is low voltage. And, and I would encourage you to watch one of our Realcom live episodes where we had three or four of the world's probably best low voltage experts prognosticating on when low voltage, which is a much different scenario than, than AC, um, starts making it make its way into our buildings in a much more meaningful way. And, and I, I think you'll see the robotics and the low voltage and a lot of other things, the prefabrication, we didn't even get a chance. Would you be willing to come back? I guess is my question. <laughs> yeah. How much time you have? How much? Uh, yeah. yeah we Why don't after the first of the year, let's, let's get back and continue the conversation because there's a lot going on here and I so respect what you're doing and your journey in DPR that uh, we'd love to hear from you again. I would be honored to be back. Yeah. We, we've got a lot to discuss. Awesome. Well, listen, you have a great, uh, a great day, great weekend, and I'm sure I may not talk to you. So enjoy your holidays and we'll be back in touch. And uh, I'm looking forward to that next conversation. Thank you. You, you as well. Take care. Okay. Be well. 
All right, with that, we are going to come on to our news segment with Howard Berger, bringing us this week's news in PropTech. Lots going on. Um, despite uh, all the threats of you know, economic downturn, the innovation wheel continues, and Howard's going to bring us up to speed on what's going on this week. Well, thank you, Jim. And, uh, and Henning, hey, thanks for joining us today. That was a great conversation. It, it, it's, it's always uh, always some, learn something new, and, and what you bring to the table really is interesting. Uh, and we're going to be diving a lot more into uh, robotics uh, much more deeply when we get to the June conference also. Uh, now, a little news. So I got a couple of highlights from this week's new, weekly news briefing that goes out every Thursday morning. And our leading article this week is from Tom Shercliffe, you all know, co-founder Intelligent Buildings. And, he's, and Tom's asking the question, will your portfolio be a have or a have not in 2023? And a little context behind that is there are three major post-pandemic trends that have emerged around our building assets. First, hybrid work. Second, ESG. Third, cyber. And these have come together in what Brookfield Research calls the age of accelerated obsolescence, which is at this point in time, I believe, most notable is commercial real estate is really in a flight to quality. So I won't spoil the plot. So I suggest you give this article a good read. Uh, next for my technology partner, David Stifter, uh, managing director and founder of Digital Bridge, in an article entitled Solving the Tribal Knowledge Gap with AI, Three Lessons from a Public Read. And this is about the ongoing struggle many commercial real estate companies have dealing with the backlog of unpaid invoices every month. <clears throat> this problem has not gone away. And it's compounded by the challenge of finding and training new staff for a position that's really heavy on data entry, or really light on career potential. So in this article, David dives into a case study with a major REIT and how they effectively defined the root causes of the bottlenecks typical in the, in the AP processes and how they successfully leveraged AI and automation to ensure their targeted outcomes. So thanks for a great article, David. Now, for those of you who attended RealCom IBCon since 2012, you may recall we feature a smart building best practice showcase. It's where we bring together 30 plus, 30, 40 real estate execs that represent some of the most iconic smart building projects from around the world. And they mix with the attendees in a very highly interactive poster type session. Now, every week, every couple of weeks, we're sharing one of these project profiles in our weekly news briefing. And this week, we're spotlighting. It's a collaboration between Van Dyke Properties and Smart One Solutions in their Grand Central Mimico project, which they call a vision for modern living. And it's a planned master transit-oriented community with really smart housing and a mixed-use environment. Classic architecture, green, walkable, tons of restaurants, retail, extraordinary smart home functionality via Van Dyke Smart Connect. Uh, and then final, and then, not finally, and next, <clears throat> Biden administration uh, just released the first ever federal building performance standard along with a plan to electrify federal buildings. And the goal, achieve net zero emissions in all federal buildings by 2045 and a 50% re emission reduction by 2032. So just a note, uh, some detractors feel like the move to electrification is going to increase the demand for electricity, It'll fuel and natural gas increase, uh, cost increase to consumers. I'm not sure about that. But regardless, GSAPBS is making some extraordinarily bold moves to reduce the, their carbon footprint of this uh, substantial federal building portfolio. And there's some extraordinary progress also being made in their internal and external teams to move the needle on building performance and energy reduction. So great job, GSA. Finally. You've all seen it this week. It's been in the news all week. Fifth Wall raised 880, 
$866 million for its latest prop tech fund, the largest ever dedicated venture fund of its kind. Funding came from a number of sources, CBRE, Equity Residential, Invitation Homes, Cushman Wakefield, and more. Been a shot in the arm to a sector that's been hit hard hit by interest rates and with so many public prop tech companies struggling for profitability. Um, so that's just a few of this week's highlights. That last story on. is the one that got my attention. Um, you know, we've obviously been following the prop tech movement, well, for 30, 25, 30 years. I mean, we we're just calling it prop tech now. But this last 10, 12, 13 years, probably starting about 09, just an enormous amount of capital into the market. And yeah, you're right. 2023 was not a, a good year, an easy year for a lot of the prop tech startups. They're getting challenged with profitability. And to see this amount of capital come in at this stage is interesting uh, at the very least. And it's going to really appetite. Yeah. For, yeah. You know, and, and I think 2023 is going to be a defining year in a lot of ways. And we're going to be we're keeping our ear really close. Lots of this. This topic is going to be front and center at the conference in June. And we're starting right now. We're digging deep. We're doing the analysis. It's not just going to be, you know, a, a, a glib presentation of what's going on. We plan to dig deep and really get an understanding on, on what is going on from the investment side uh, in prop tech in 2023. So exciting yep. times. Yep. Howard, great job as always. Uh, I will chat with you later. You have a good day. Thanks, Jim. Have a great weekend. All right. Before we uh, wrap the show, let's uh, hear from our final sponsor and I'll be right back. The way we think about the office has changed. When you need to manage dynamic work models, new employee expectations, and keep up with compliance, you need a mobile-first, data-powered strategy and a partner that understands the building of the future because they're inventing it. It's time for real-time visibility over your workforce and your space so you can track, communicate, plan, and optimize whether you manage one site or many. Honeywell Sign makes it easy to keep your workforce working no matter what the future holds. All right. Well, that wraps today's episode. Uh, Henning, just want a big shout out. Thank you again. Great job. Great, uh, great discussion today. Looking forward to lots more in 2023. And uh, again, thanks to our sponsors and of course, our Realcom crew that makes this work every week. So um, no guests next week. We are, uh, we're not taking the holidays off per se, but we are going to take a little break from Realcom Live. But what I got to tell you is um, for those of you who have not done it already or may have missed an episode or two, we're going to be sending out uh, an email in the next couple of weeks or next next couple of days talking about which episodes really kind of float to the top, you know, the topics. I think they were all great starting, you know, at the conference and then all the way through the end of the year. But there's there's, you know, a half a dozen or so that really including I think today's is going to make that list that allow you over the holidays to either, you know, put it on while you're you know wrapping the Christmas presents or or just hanging out, kind of catching up, thinking about where the next year is. There is an intense, insane amount of great intellectual property by true domain experts sitting a mouse click away on our YouTube channel. And I hope that uh, you take advantage of it, share it with your friends, um, finding the right people who are truly experts. Uh, there's an awful lot of noise out there right now, and we do our best to get the ones who are at the lead, you know, front of the pack and doing the real work. So with that, I want to wish you very Merry uh, Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays, and uh, we will see you, or at least I will see you uh, after the first of the year. Be well.